It's True Crime Trine Hour Plus. This will probably be more than an hour episode. Oh, God. I already am apologizing at the very beginning. Thank you for listening to this podcast where we discuss true crime, astrology, and other weird bullshit while planets are aligning or disaligning, depending on where Mm -hmm. we are in the retrograde. (laughs) We're obviously in Mercury retrograde because I'm not nailing this intro, but we are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode uh. 59. <laughs> <laughs> you needed to save that burp like what? You needed to burp after I said the number to accent it. They come when they come. Well, do we have any housekeeping? No. Okay, good. I'm going to say currently Mercury is still in retrograde while we record. It might be popping out by the time this is released, but that doesn't yes. help us now. No. No, we're in it. And my ex-seminar is on June 1st. So I don't have a script per se as I have a bunch of bullet points I wrote down from reading books. But this is one of the things that I did over Christmas break. And so it actually is paying off for me. Yay. But this might be a bit disjointed. We are going to talk about Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf. Wee! Woo! Well, not really. Our dun, dun, not dun. favorite Gemini. Not me. Nope. He's our non-favorite. Born on May 26th, 1883. He's got my birthday too, just like the last dude. Oh, no, he does. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't even put those two things together. Well. It's all right. Trust me. You're doing better than Peter. I hope so. <laughs> Gonna get bad, like, in the first God. three bullet points. So, he was the oldest of 13 children. Jesus. The reason why he had 12 siblings is because his father was a real piece of shit. Ooh. So, the family grew up super poor. Father was an alcoholic and also very abusive. Okay. Mm. And already bad. The children would be forced to watch as Peter's mother would be raped by their father. No. No. And his mother openly begged to be killed so that her misery would end. Oh. Oh my god. He was also raping his daughters. No. No. Not a great start for Peter or anyone actually in that family. Mm -mm. Real bad. God. The one good thing about Peter is... As the oldest, he also did try to stand up for his mom a little bit, but, like, it's not going to cancel out. Yeah. Yeah. So, great start. When Peter was nine, he was invited by some local kids to go on a rafting trip down the River Rhine. And Peter pushed a child into the river to, quote, see what would happen. Oh, my God. Hmm. What happened is the boy drowned. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen. And there's another child who apparently didn't see Peter pushed the first victim into the water. So this other kid also jumped in trying to save the first kid. And then Peter just reached over and held him underwater until he also (gasps) drowned. He's like, well, that was neat. I wonder if this works too. He's like, oh, two for one. And he's nine? God. Two for, yep. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. And officials briefly looked into this incident, but it was determined it was an accident. And actually, Peter got like a lot of condolences and sympathy because two of his friends had died. Oh. So that's positive reinforcement for his behavior. Yeah. 
About Great. the time that he was nine as well, he also made friends with the local dog catcher. No. Who? Hmm. Was not a good man either. No. Not sure what was in the water, Dusseldorf. Dog catchers are always the villains. Come on. Well. <laughs> in all the movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Now I'm thinking of Beethoven. Well, this particular dog catcher was happy to have another little psychopath to follow him around and showed Peter how to torture the dogs. Uh, jack off the dogs? No. Ew, no. And then why? Fuck the dogs. No, 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 no. I actually do know one reason why. Do you want to hear why Peter said they masturbated the dogs? Why? It makes the dog very attached to you. Quote, Aww. an animal like that can't be beaten away. Also, Peter learned about necrophilic bestiality from no. this man as well. No, 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 no. So. Peter made a great friend, and when he was 13, he started on an adventure in bestiality that lasted for about two to three years. So, here's a nice fun quote. It was in my 13th year that for the first time I secured a complete orgasm by wounding. I attempted sexual intercourse with a sheep. Whether it succeeded or the sheep would not keep still, I forget. I stabbed the sheep, and at that moment, ejaculated. Ew. He's going to ejaculate a lot in this script. And so a lot of the quotes that I have from him is after he was arrested. And I think after he was convicted, he talked to this particular psychiatrist, Dr. Berg, who then published a book about this from more of like a medical legal standpoint. But it has okay. all these quotes from Peter. So Peter, this is Peter just talking to Dr. Berg, normal psychiatrist. And he's telling Dr. Berg, quote, I had also, at that time, cut off the head of a dog. Hmm. Then I realized that there was something nice in it. And then he says this to Dr. Berg. You can imagine that, Professor, and you must try it for yourself sometime. Oh my god. (laughs) So, some problems about communicating with others and what to say there. At 14, Peter was starting to stand up for himself against his father. And his father could see Peter was growing up, so he armed himself with a knife. And there was a uh, confrontation. Okay. His sisters made a racket and screamed for help. The police came. Nothing happened. Nobody went to jail. Oh. When Peter was 16, his father got him an apprentice job at the same place where his father worked. He shouldn't be super surprised because the first thing Peter did was basically break into the place of employment and stole 300 marks. Okay. Whatever that is. And Peter's father was Furious, because he had vouched for Peter, light up this job for him, whatever. Peter spent one month in jail for that. But one good thing that's going to happen in the next 16 pages. During this investigation into the burglary, the police learned from um, his siblings that his father was raping his sisters. And he was found guilty of incest with one of his daughters, who was 13. So he was actually sent to prison. Oh, good. Okay. For three years. I mean, clearly some other damage has been done, but... Yeah, but it's a tiny thing. That's nice. It was a three-year sentence. Oh my god. That's it? (sighs) Yes, but it's more than has happened in a lot of things. Yeah. I just found a conversion table for marks to dollars. In 1913, one mark equals $4.20. So 300 times 4 is $1,200? Yeah. Not bad. All right. 
around this time in his teens, Peter also started setting fires. Oh, so we've hit two points of two of McDonald's. Check. He has talked about almost everything and he'd never talked about bedwetting. So it might have just been a two for three, but okay. And he loved setting the fires. He would say that he had no intention to kill anyone. What he liked was seeing the response to the fires and seeing oh, okay. the people freak out. Mm-hmm. And during big fires, I always came to ejaculation. Oh, Jesus Christ. And then this quote I have from him, too, which I just is another example of him just like, your brain's weird, sir. Mm-hmm. He says, quote, I tried to set fire to the Dusseldorf Orphanage several times, but the fire always <gasps> petered out again. I probably ought not to have done it because of the orphans. Oh, you fucking think? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. no fucking shit, my friend. They're already orphans. Jesus Christ. I know, Christ. you have to burn their, like, last house down. Ugh. All right, so May 25th. Oh, the day before his birthday. 1913. He was in Cologne, Germany. Cologne. Germany, being a creep. At this point, he was mostly a robber and an arsonist, so it was nighttime and he was looking for a good place to rob. And so he saw the Wursthaust Peter Klein Schnecke, <laughs> which was a tavern owned by a Mr. Peter Klein. Okay. And he figured that's a good target. Morris came running when you spoke yeah. in German, so. Started burning hard and bart. He also just got fed. <laughs> Yeah. So he broke into this tavern because it was also like a lodging house as well, like a small motel. Okay. And so he was breaking in, going through the rooms. He wasn't having any luck finding anything good and was getting very frustrated until he came to a room that had 10-year-old Christine Klein asleep in it. And I guess he just completely snapped in that moment because he leapt across the room and started strangling her. No. Oh my god. Just like, she's just laying there sleeping and he... Yep. Um, and uh, she may have woken up momentarily, but she fell unconscious like very quickly. And when she was unconscious, Peter Curtin pulled out his knife and slit her throat. No. And I'm not going to talk about some of the other things. No. You could read The Sadist, because now I have that in my head. The sight aroused him so much sexually that he could not contain himself. Ugh. He ejaculated on the mm-hmm. body. Oh. And I, we'll get into this more, but it's definitely the blood that made him ejaculate. Like, Isn't there like a, I don't know, like a disorder or something that with blood? Hemophilia? I, there's <laughs> No, there's like a whole bunch of stuff like... like well, like, A, you can, like, faint at the sight of blood. You can get excited at the sight of blood. There's, like, sure. different... It's got to be a fetish, because there's a fetish for everything. So some sort of a bloodophilia. Okay. I feel like he's he's fetishized violence. Like, the spilling of blood is just... Because of the whole... I mean, the first instance of this sounds like it was with the sheep. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he realized it's like, oh, well, it's way better with blood and And he wasn't actually orgasming like i don't think it was going well with the sheep and then he stabbed the sheep and then he was like oh fuck and like blue loads because that he realized oh my god this is what i like i like blood that's so gross um also don't google blood fetish name just don't do it oh god (laughs) no sorry teddy my fbi agent i have a story for teddy later and i'm gonna tell teddy well i don't think i call mine teddy I can't remember. You did name yours. Alvin. I did name him, but 
I don't remember. So I'm going to call him Alvin this time. Alvin, you're welcome. I didn't Google this. We'll get there. All right. And so Peter fled the scene. But as he was fleeing the scene, a handkerchief fell out of his pocket. So that was the only useful piece of evidence that was left at the scene. And the uh, handkerchief was embroidered PK. So same initials as Mr. Peter Klein, the father slash proprietor. (gasps) No! But he was never considered a suspect in his daughter's murder. Okay, good. Okay. But he did mention that he had a real big verbal argument with his brother, Otto Klein, the night before Christine was found dead. And Peter had refused to give Otto the money he was demanding. And so Otto stormed off from the tavern, yelling, telling his brother that he would quote, do something that you'll remember the rest of your oh, life, fuck. end quote. Oh, fuck. It wasn't this for sure. Otto was absolutely devastated by this death. Yeah. And also was accused of doing it, which was also bad. Mm-hmm. And so it this did end up going to trial, though, but the Otto's attorney asked the jury, quote, why would my client possess his brother's handkerchief? Furthermore, why would he kill his niece over an argument about money. Well, they just assumed it was Peter Klein's, and I guess Peter Klein's like, yeah, I guess it's mine. <laughs> he didn't recognize that he didn't actually have that handkerchief before? Yeah, no. Okay. Leave it to a guy. I was like, he's obviously not the one that embroidered it and laundered <laughs> it and everything yeah. else, so Jeez. he probably doesn't know what his handkerchiefs look like. Yeah. Mm. So, why would he kill his niece over an argument about money with her father? And, uh, Otto was clearly devastated by the death of Christine as well, and so the murder trial was very swift, as well as the result, Otto was acquitted. Thankfully. Okay. And even Peter okay. Klein didn't think Otto did it. Even, you know, he was in the depths of grief, but he was still clear-headed enough He's to be like, like there's it's no not, way. It's not him. Yeah. yeah. But, you know. That's good. Not a great thing to be accused of, so it kind of fucked up Otto's life. For the rest of his life, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And when Peter was caught and confessed, he would say that he returned to the scene of the crime Mm -mm. the next day, sat in a cafe opposite of the tavern so that he could sip a beer and watch all the people talking about the murder that he had committed. In June 1913, he picked up a girl and took her out several times. And then on one of these times, they went to a dance. And then on the way home, he throttled her several times. He says throttled a lot. Kind of out of the blue. So, like, shook her violently or what? With his like... hands around his neck, I would assume. Okay. God. So this is pretty out of the blue because they had gone on several dates before and this had not happened. And then um, when she was scared, he said, quote, that's what love's like. I won't kill you, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then he said, after that, she put up with it. We had a sexual connection on a bench. What? But, I mean, he has no idea what love's like. Sounds like she didn't either. No. Poor thing. A lot of these girls, I'm like, ooh, girl. Ooh. But, like, I'm sure his father also throttled his mother a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. By example. Mm Mm-mm. All right. So, in 1914, he was uh, put in the army. Because they needed him in the army. World War One, you know. They keep doing you know, that. That little thing. So he did, he was in the army for World War One. Not for very long. He deserted. He did not care for it. And he did not. What? All the blood and gore? Yeah, and- no. You're kind of surprised, but like, God, he'd be useless as a soldier. He'd just be fucking Yeah, every, every five steps. Oh. <laughs> 
Um, so I've come my pants again. He only cares about himself, and he also does not take orders very yeah. well. Yeah. So he was caught, found guilty of desertion, and then sent to a military prison, which he was in for probably about five years because he was set. He was released in 1921, which is less than you get for raping your own daughter. That's exactly what I was going to say. Okay, because that just occurred to me, and I was like, excuse me? Yeah, so his dad got less uh, time in prison than he did from deserting the fucking army. Okay. I doubt he was a good soldier. <sighs> so, once he was released from prison, he went to go live with one of his sisters, who lived in a small town called Altenburg, near to Dresden, Germany. Their relationship was closest to normal, but Peter did suspect that his sister wanted to have sex with him. That was probably all on Peter. Peter just misread hugs, I think. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> she was nice to him. Yeah. Ugh. But this was an okay time in Peter's life. And while he was there, he met one of his sister's friends, August Scharft. And so Scharft? Scharft. And so okay. Peter and August became friends, then lovers, and eventually married. True love. Okay. So August had a bit of a past herself. And so... She had originally been in a relationship with a gardener for eight years. And even though they eventually got engaged, this man left her at the altar. And and August shot him. And so she went to prison for four years. Okay. Still more than you get for raping your daughter. Yeah. Unlike Peter, she felt terrible about it. And honestly, it fucked, it ruined her life. And then um, she would say, quote, for my part, I have taken all things as a punishment for my old, my own old life. So she basically was just like, oh, this is like penance for me killing this guy. So if everything sucks, it's just I deserve it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which is... Fair enough, yeah. I guess. It's okay. It's not okay, but... It's not great, but it's... I mean, at least she <laughs> felt bad about it. She did feel very bad about it, but then I think she just never... She's one of the, oh, honey. Like, she never would say that for herself again. Yeah. She thought she deserved every horrible thing that happened to her. Honestly, not that many horrible things happened to her, but still, comparatively. Yeah. In 1925, the happy couple moved to Dusseldorf, where they had a fairly quiet couple years where Peter snuck up on a couple women and convinced them to go with him to the woods to have sex. And then strangled them until they were unconscious. Oh, Jesus. And then had sex with their unconscious bodies. Ugh, but oh, my God. But nothing major, and he didn't get in trouble for any of this. So he didn't kill them, he just raped them <laughs> he while did they kill were... them, and, like, okay. unconscious and, like, left them there. Gross. 1929 is a bad year for Dusseldorf. So, February 3rd, Peter cornered Maria Kuhn, and he stabbed her at least 24 times. And afterward, Peter would notice that the tip of one of the blades from the scissor had broken off, and then x-rays would show that the tip of that blade was embedded in Maria's bone. Oh. Maria survived. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. It was dark. She had no idea who attacked her. Okay. At all. Uh, and so there was, like, nothing that she could not do. Not much to go by, yeah. All of Peter said, quote, The place where I attacked Frau Kuhn, I visited again that same evening twice, and later several times. In doing so, I sometimes had an orgasm. Oh my god. Jeez. 
Did they ever discover the other part of the scissors that... By the end, he's not using the scissors anymore. I think he starts with the scissors. He kind of rotates through weapons, which made it hard to link all the murders together as well. Right. All right. Well, that didn't go great for him. So on February 9th, this is another bad one. Just a few days later. <sighs> yeah. And Dusseldorf was on edge because of Maria's story and like, oh, God. We just got attacked, and so, like, you're trying to keep everyone at home or whatnot. Yeah. Eight-year-old Rosa Olinger wandered a little bit too far away, and so mm. Peter was able to grab her from behind and flee into the woods. No. no. He stabbed her three times in the neck and heart and killed her almost instantly, which was oh the only God. good thing about this. Okay, well, at least she didn't... Oh, my God. I'm going to skip some other stuff. Ugh. Then he combined his old love of arson with his new love of murder. And so doused Rose's body with gasoline and then set her on fire. Oh, Jesus. She was dead, though. Yeah, but still desecration of a corpse. And she's a baby. Yes, but I'm better than being alive. Yeah. I'm just trying to tell myself some good things. This is a major bummer, guys. Yeah. Ugh. There's no redeeming qualities. There's not a whole lot of humor. Mm-mm. No, I'm trying, man, but it's going <laughs> to yeah. be a rough one. Peter couldn't stay away, so he went back to the scene of the crime because the next they found the body burning. The police came out, whatever. So he, after he set her body on fire, he actually went and got a beer first, then went back to the crime scene to observe all the chaos that's happening. And <sighs> there was a young officer on the scene that actually saw Peter and talked to him for about 10 minutes about the crime. And, like, suspected nothing? Suspected nothing. While this officer was talking, Peter fantasized about killing him, and then he came in his pants. Oh, my God. And the officer is just like, uh, um... I... (laughs) Yes. Did he know? I mean... The officer did not know. So he's just standing there just like... There's some stuff we're going to talk about later that I'm confused by. Like, are you are you having a stroke or? Oh yeah, a seizure. Yeah. Are you okay, sir? Do I need to facilitate anything here? <laughs> oh God. And so he did not kill the officer, but he did thank him for taking the time to talk to him, and ended with quote, "I hope you get the son of a bitch responsible for this." Uh huh. I'm skipping this bullet point real hard. Okay. So the police knocked on the doors of all of the sexual predators and the pedophiles that were in the area looking for some suspect in rose's murder they never found anyone and so how do they keep track of that back then i guess not super well because they never found anyone (laughs) (laughs) oh they moved okay well yeah we lost them i don't know i mean i think that's pretty easy to do back then but like these are the known pedophiles so and sexual predators in the area so you gotta be pretty bad to be on the known list but they were bad enough to kill a little girl and then set her body on fire. Yeah. Penrose's parents did not recover from this experience no. and ended up divorcing. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Later, Peter would say he also had an orgasm at the height of the fire oh, that he watched. Us. I did look up real quick. Sorry, Teddy. Can you over-ejaculate? <laughs> oh. And the answer is no. So there's that. 
You can't, you can't like OD on orgasm Can endorphins. you um, no. like just dry ejaculate though? Like you don't have semen left anymore because you just, <laughs> but you just, your dick's like, yeah, like wheezing and nothing's coming out. Is that a thing? Well, it says Probably. you cannot die because of ejaculating too much and your body will never run out of sperm. Your body releases millions hmm. of sperm and ejaculating once a day will not make you have not my body fewer sperms. <laughs> <laughs> well, once a day, whatever, but like. Peter on a battlefield would be much more than once a day. Yeah, that's true. I think he'd go through his stock. But he deserted, so. Yeah, so he did actually. Probably because he was in pain. But it says the average ejaculation (laughs) frequency for men is two to seven times per week. Hmm, All right. Interesting. Anyways. And I'm saying say this too, actually. He's like, um, once Peter has an orgasm, his mind clears and he loses interest usually and wanders off. So... He might not. Yeah, if he could just come in his pants more without yeah. killing people, that'd be yeah. great. All right. Well, February 14th, 1929, some locals found the body of Rudolf Scheer, who was a well-respected mechanic. Mm. Uh, his body was 20 stab wounds over his body. Many so of the wounds were to his head and his eyes. Oh. He's a middle-aged man, so there was not a connection made to Rose's death. So yeah. he had a young woman, a small child, and a middle-aged man in, like, two weeks. He has no preference. So he preference. does not have a preference. No. Okay. Wow. But Dusseldorf was not having it, and so the police really wanted to solve this one, and so they um, went back to the scene. Peter found his way back to that scene as well, talked to another detective, blah 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 And because, you know, the... Uh... B-A-U isn't really a thing. They're like, yeah, sure, just a friendly guy well, showing up at all these like crime there's scenes. there's a lot of people around. Oh, How okay. big is Dusseldorf in that time? Like, is it a small community? I don't actually know. But when something exciting happens, I think it draws a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like For sure. if there's a car wreck, people stop to look. If there's a fire, mm-hmm. people stop to look. I mean... Yeah. So Peter didn't stand out from the rest of the crowd. Basically. Okay. I don't know how he just big happens the town to be. Was, but yeah, it's like it is kind of maybe a coincidence that he's out all these places, but it's not anything that stands out to them at the time. So. So. God. Oh, I just saw something. Oh, that was from 1950. So it, I've got 1929, and it yeah. was about a hundred thousand people. So it's not small. It's not small. Especially when there yeah. was back then when it was the interconnectivity was not the same. Like you could have small communities in a neighborhood, but like you don't know what's going on across town necessarily. Yeah. But it would almost be more obvious like to see a familiar face in multiple crime scenes in a town that's not small mm-hmm. because you're like, hey, I've seen you at like that other place before. Yeah. Instead of it being like, but wow, there's a lot of strangers like, in this well, crowd. You were there too, sir. You were at both scenes as well. But if you're the police officer, right? You're but one's to one's be there. the job. Yeah. yeah, one is the job. The other yes. one's like, you're at these places. It was a Why are you out in these places? Police, I'm assuming. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you you can't be the person that's been like, I keep seeing this guy at the crime scenes. Cause I'm like, why are you at all the crime scenes, sir? Yeah. <laughs> all right. There was a bit of a break till August when Maria Hahn. An 11-year-old servant girl was killed by Peter. The police actually didn't find out about this murder until November of 1929. And Peter actually sent letters to the newspaper to tell them. Oh, good Lord. That the quote-unquote vampire had killed again. God. He dubbed himself. He called himself a vampire? I think they might have 
called them both, but he definitely called himself the vampire now because of this, quote, I became stiff again during the throttling. Oh, and fuck. when, as I stabbed her throat, the blood gushed from the wound. I drank the blood from the wound and ejaculated. I no. probably drank too much blood because I vomited. This might be the first time he actually drank the blood. Oh. So. <sighs> but. Just real quick, I'm going to go back to February. I was just curious <laughs> what the lunar calendar looked like in February of 1929. <laughs> On the 3rd, we had a waning crescent in Sagittarius. Exciting. On the 9th, it was a new moon in Aquarius. On the 19th was a waxing gibbons moon in Cancer. I was curious to see if there was, like, the same type of moon going on. Oh, yeah. It does not look like it was. Anyway, sorry. Okay. So, he also buried the body of Maria Hahn, which is probably why she wasn't found. noticed, and Mm -hmm. she was a servant, so maybe no one was looking that closely for her. Mm. But what he had wanted to do was to crucify her. Because he had even brought the supplies that he really wanted to nail her body to a tree with her arms spread out. But alas, he had not time. So he just buried her. And now seems like a good time to say that he would revisit the graves of his victims over and over again. And he would ejaculate. Oh, Jesus. Gross. He would just kind of like touch the dirt. He could sit there for hours visualizing what had happened. Is he like beating the meat or is he just fucking ejaculating in his Just pants? like standing there. Ugh. Let me actually do this quote because it will lead into the next one. So Peter said, quote, when I fingered the earth of the grave with my hand, I sometimes became sexually excited. And when I recalled in memory the events, I could stay for hours. But when I had an orgasm on the graves, it was without any act on my part. Oh, for the And love so here's another God. detailer. That Peter told Dr. Berg. He apparently said something about he's discussing another murder. He said, quote, I had my member out and ejaculated without erection, which is much nicer. End quote. <laughs> is it? It's nicer? Can you even do that? That was the research I was going to do. And this would be the first time that research would actually have been looking at porn. Oh, but I, Jesus. I didn't actually get to. I forgot about that. But I'm like, I, does it just dribble out? I'm sorry, Teddy. I'm Googling it right now. We're just putting the burden on your FBI agent tonight. Because uh, Cause yours has been working overtime, making sure you're okay. I'll say this is us as three women. We've never had a penis like 24 hours attached to us. We've only... We don't know. We only see yeah. ejaculate when it's hard. Yep. According to Google, an erection is not necessary for orgasm or ejaculation, even if a man cannot have an erection or can only get a partial erection, the right sexual stimulation can give you an orgasm. Yeah, so is it nicer, men that listen, is it nicer to ejaculate when you're flaccid? Let us know. Please don't. I, I don't yeah, want to know. I don't. I actually kind of do. But. Okay, then <laughs> if you're a male listener, then then text Hannah. Sure, that's fine. No. Yeah, so that's what he really liked. <sighs> Just it dribbling down. But it did give him a shudder down the whole back. Oh, God. Which uh, maybe a, an erect orgasm didn't? I don't know. Anywho, murders were piling up very quickly, but there was not really a clear theme. We had the scissors, we were strangling, there's a knife involved. Some were buried. They were very, some, some were, were buried. Burned. There was a yeah. burn. 
the victim pool was basically anybody, and so it was anything goes. Yeah, this guy. All right, still bad. Okay, August twenty third, there was the annual fair happening on the banks of the River Rhine, and Peter was scouting the crowd looking for his next victim. Great. He spotted two young girls. No, no. Mm. And so he kind of followed them, and when they left the fair to go back home, they were taking back alleys because they were less crowded. Mm-hmm. And so Peter was able to get them at that point. So Peter just kind of kind of popped out of nowhere in the alley. He asked the older girl, Louise Lenzen, who was 14, to go and get some cigarettes for him. She was a little hesitant, but she did do as she was asked. And that left five-year-old Gertrude no. Hammaker. Five! Yeah. No. Yes. <sighs> and he strangled her until she fell unconscious and then slit her throat. Ugh. Louise then returned with the cigarettes, noticed that Gertrude was not there, was a- perturbed, and... So he also started to strangle Louise. She's a bit bigger than Gertrude. She actually put up a big fight, but she died. (sighs) And I think her fighting back made Peter extremely angry. And so when he slit her throat, he almost decapitated. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. And once, this is the second time he said that he um, dipped his finger in the blood and then licked it off. So... (sighs) There's an allegation, too, that he might have bit around the knife wound on her neck, but that may or may not be sure. But newspapers pick this up for sure. The vampire of Dusseldorf has struck again. All of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Two days later, Johann Stossberg was arrested, and he admitted to strangling some of these victims. He was described as a cretin and an imbecile who suffered from epilepsy, and so... He just confessed to the killings of the two. I've written like four to five different people down as the two people he killed. So I don't remember who it is, but he admitted to two of the killings. Okay. He was able to provide a lot of detail. Some of the stuff was off, but the police were willing to overlook this because everyone was panicking. Yeah, they wanted to find somebody to blame it on so they could get a sense of peace back in the community. Yeah. And they also, they said that since he suffered from epilepsy, he might also suffer from memory issues, which is what they tried to say to smooth that over. Uh, They also found his mother, and she would say that uh, Johan had told her on February 9th that he had killed Rosa Olinger. Hmm. So he was arrested and sent to an insane asylum. Okay. Police were very happy with a job well done. Didn't last long. Oh. We're still in August. Jesus. Oh my god. Gertrude Schultz was a young woman. She did housework and watched people's kids and whatever. So she had finished her work in the middle of the afternoon. And so she was left wherever she was working and was going up to meet some friends. And while she was on this walk, she ran into Peter. No. Great. I assume you've already Googled Peter Kern, so you know what he looks like. Mm-hmm. The book says that many who knew him described him as attractive. Um, no. Question mark? Uh, he looks more attractive with his head split in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see it. But uh, <laughs> he's very neat. Because that comes up a lot. He took a lot of care in his appearance or something, and so. Ladies, just because someone can put on a suit don't mean shit. But ladies, yeah. if he doesn't have a hand towel in his bathroom, eh. 
That's actually not true. And so Peter was pretty good with going out to the ladies. He came off as a, you know, fairly polite person. Most of them didn't get any weird vibes from him in the beginning. And so he approached Gertrude and said, hello, you are very beautiful. Which barf. Yeah. Gertrude was not having it. She was quite attractive and was used to men hitting on her. And she usually shut them down very quickly because most of them just wanted to have sex with her. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, you got the hello, you were very beautiful line from this guy that's like, eh, he's okay looking, he's kind of nice, whatever, but like, meh. So she politely rejected him. Peter got angry. And so he persisted in trying to kind of charm her for a bit. And then he cut to the chase and said, let's say we go somewhere and have sex. Let's say we don't. How about no? Well, Gertrude replied, I'd rather die. Well, good, Gertrude. (gasps) Yeah, but you should have said I'd rather have a refreshing beer or something. Because she said that, turned around and was walking away from Peter. And then Peter said, die then. And he'd taken his knife out from his pocket and stabbed her in the back. Oh, Jesus. Peter left her to die, and he didn't actually finish the job on this one. So Gertrude actually survived this encounter. Holy fuck. She's like, wow, fucker, I didn't die. And so, and it was middle of the afternoon. So she, and she obviously, he talked to her for a while. She saw him. So she was able to describe him. She said he was pleasant looking. Nothing about him stood out from most of the other men in town. Okay. And she had never seen him before, and he had never, he had not told him her name. In her testimony, she also did say this nice, fun thing, basically <laughs> saying that um, Peter Curtin had a very small penis. <laughs> How did she know? Because he said, come, see if you can feel it. I've only a small tail. And he like, oh my God. Hand on it, and it was only a small tail. Oh. Small tail. Mm. All right. That's the That's end of hilarious. August 1929. <laughs> Jeez. I know. September 1929. Oh, man. September 6th. This one, we don't know a ton of information. I'm skipping some, to be honest, because, but. Yeah. And he also, like, assaulted women that got away into. But, like, on the September 6th, 13-year-old Ida Reuter was found dead. And Hmm. the forensic examiner determined she'd been sexually assaulted prior to being killed, which is a little off for Peter. And he did not strangle or stab her. He'd actually beat her to death with his fist. So it was a completely different MO again. Mm -hmm. But then there was a complete lull in the murders for about a month. And so people were starting to breathe easier again. The newspapers were, you know, saying, oh, maybe he's moved on to somewhere else. Whatever. Peter also read these newspapers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he ejaculated. Oh, fuck. But he was also, in October, was like, nope, still here. Ooh. So October 12th, 1929, he found 11-year-old Elizabeth Dorier, who was described mm. as a servant girl. And so she was just walking down the sidewalk about a mile from her home when she was grabbed by Peter, who grabbed her, put her hand, his hand over her mouth, and then ran off into the woods or whatever. Jesus, how many fucking woods do they have in Dusseldorf? I don't know. <laughs> and Elizabeth was unconscious very rapidly, so she didn't really know what was happening either too much, but once she was unconscious after Peter strangled her, he pulled out his pocket knife and stabbed her approximately 22 times. Jesus. God. 
Uh, that evening, Elizabeth's parents reported her missing, but there was a bit of a delay because she sometimes didn't come home, you know, at an exact time if she had found extra work to do or something. And so, yeah. you know. At one point now, over 800,000 leads and suspicious persons had been reported to the Dusseldorf police. That's helpful. It's a lot. They said every single and one of them. And they can't even keep track of all their pedophiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So they did say every single one of them was investigated. I don't know. Surrounding police agencies had joined the investigation by this time just to provide more resources. Meh. Once again, we went after the men with violent crime, pedophiles. Nothing was really... Nothing panned out. Nothing really panned out. Uh, Around the same time, Peter assaulted a Frau Vodders. But he uh, didn't seem to like her very much. He described himself as being accosted by a woman smoking a cigarette. Accosted. Who asked me to go with her. So she was flirting with him. A prostitute? Yeah. So he would say, quote, I gave her several blows on the head with a hammer. In doing that, oh! the handle of the hammer broke and the head flew off in the bushes. Vonders was repulsive to Jeez. me, for I knew she was a professional prostitute and I never accost that kind of girl. Which is just like, you're such a fucking bitch. Yeah. <laughs> So because she was forward towards him, that's why. It didn't work out. He wouldn't He wouldn't mess with that. If yeah. she had not said anything to him at all, he wouldn't have just passed her by. Yeah. B- bull. Well, honestly, he never really did go for the sex workers. Well, you know, he doesn't need to because he ejaculates every five minutes in his fucking pants. Yeah, he doesn't have any problem with that. Since the hammer broke, he did not ejaculate this time. And he described Vonder's head as being harder than the hammer, which I thought was kind of funny. But (laughs) (laughs) You broke my hammer. (laughs) All right. November 7th, 1929. Gertrude Alberman, a five-year-old girl, (sighs) kind of ventured away from her family. Peter was hidden nearby and was able to grab her, pull her into um, wherever he was and take her away he choked her do you have a question yeah did he not have a fucking job honestly not always okay Hmm. he just seems like he's got a lot of fucking free time he's going a lot more in the daytime it seems like right now so he may not have a job at this point yeah his employment record was spotty but he would also go out almost every night as well okay and try to find someone so he choked gertrude pulled out his knife and stabbed her till she was unconscious. He then carried her dead body about half a mile to a factory and kind of made a crude grave site for her body there. That only he can go back to. Well, yes, but also no. Gertrude's parents noticed that their daughter had disappeared about the same time that Peter had killed her. They contacted the police. But the police had not found anything until two days after Gertrude had been reported missing. And a newspaper received another letter indicating no. that they would find Gertrude's body near a factory wall and also helpfully included oh. a map marked with an X. Oh, for fuck's sakes. He likes people to know. treasure hunt. It bothers him when they don't know. Mm-hmm. He needs acknowledgement. Yes. Then we're in 1930 now, March 1930. Mary Ann Del Santo. Peter said he, quote, offered to treat a girl to beer at Schumacher's. She told me she was not averse from perversions. We decided to practice some of these. 
and for that purpose, went to the Grafenberger <laughs> Vault. Some of the things he says, like the way he says them, are just... Averse to perversions. And we decided to practice some of those. Wow. There I suddenly strangled her. She defended herself, saying I could have anything I liked from her. I answered, I don't want anything from you, and strangled her again. Oh, Jesus. I just want your life. Yeah, like, I don't want anything you, you're going to give me. Uh, but she was able to, like, free herself. She ran away. She did survive. Oh, thank goodness. And there's another woman that he met at the Hofgarten, which I'm assuming is a pub. It was a public place, at least. So they were sitting on a bench together when he um suddenly, like, thrust his hand under her skirt and tried to fill her up. She slapped Ugh. his face. He slapped her back and made her bleed. Jesus. Whoa. Cut your nails, Peter. He then kissed the blood from her mouth and ejaculated. Oh my fucking god. She's like, you've got problems, man. And to top it off, he made her pay for the coffee that he had bought her earlier. No. And before leaving, he told her, quote, You can congratulate yourself that we are not alone in the Hof Garden. So, so people Jesus. must have seen this and been like, Cool, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, that happens where they're like, it's not my problem. They do yeah. let our men walk around. <laughs> On his little walks. <laughs> May 14th, 1930. Maria Budlik, described as an unemployed domestic servant. She lived in Kolm, but she um, took the train to Dusseldorf because she was looking for work. And so she got off the train and a man approached her and, oh, are you new here? Oh, that's like your other dude that met people at the train station. Harmon? Yeah. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, I can show you where the local hostel is. And, and Maria went with him. She said she didn't feel afraid of him. Maria knew where this hostel was, the general vicinity. And so she did notice they were not going there. And she oh. became anxious. You should have become more than anxious, girl. Mm-hmm. Well, she was trying to keep her straight face she told the man i think i'll find my own way from here the man laughed at her and told her there's nothing to be afraid of and then (laughs) they started arguing and a stranger overheard the argument and came over and asked maria if that man was bothering him oh good bothering her yes bothering her we don't know who the first man was but the second man was peter curtin oh fuck no 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 yeah no No! i was like you Reacted I just assumed. Soon. I know. <sighs> All right. So, quote, Peter, the girl told me that she was out of work and had nowhere to go. She agreed to come with me to my room on the Met Manor Strauss. And then she suddenly said she did not want sexual intercourse and asked me whether I could find her somewhere else to sleep. All of a sudden. Yeah. Well, surprise. I don't want to like, do I this. I don't think that ever actually. Maybe she uh, saw a small fucking dick. <laughs> She's like, actually, I have better things to spend my time on. Well... <laughs> So they did not end up going to his, like, actual house, but Peter took her deep into the Grafenberger woods. And in the woods, woods. Peter seized her with one hand by the neck and asked her, can I have you? And then raped her several times. Didn't wait for the answer. But he also said, quote, I thought that under the circumstances she would agree, and my opinion was right. And so, like I was kind of saying before, once he kind of comes, like, he's kind of over it and so maria would survive as well maria would say about the sexual encounter quote i hardly felt anything at all curtain finished very quickly and showed me the way out of the wood 
She's like, you know, this isn't that bad. All right. And then afterwards, Peter wow. took her back to the tram station. Not all the way back. You know, just the general idea. He didn't kill her. One of the reasons why he didn't kill her is because he had seen someone that he knew had seen him with Maria. So okay. he had saw that and he's like, well, no, I'm not going to kill her. And then he said, quote, I did not think that Bloodlick would be able to find her way back to my apartment in the rather obscure Met Banner's house. Hmm. Another thought occurred to me is if they're not feeling anything while he's raping them, it's probably because he's got a limp dick and he and it's small and he's and just he's ejaculating. Not even doing it, to be honest. He doesn't get just, any yeah. pleasure from it. Yeah. I'll say this later. He comes during the strangling and then can't like actually Yeah, not that it's a performance, act. but yeah. His last assault was Gertrude Bell. Lots of Gertrudes. It is Germany. So he met her and they made a date the next night. He said that they were trying to have sexual intercourse on a bench again in a park, but there were too many people. And so they made an appointment for the following Sunday at some other place. Okay. An appointment. An appointment for intercourse. And oh my um, God. that Sunday, a thunderstorm came on so gertrude took him to her actual room and they had sex on the bed peter said that someone came knocking asked a bunch of questions and he left gertrude would say quote curtin called himself franz weidlich from the tramway depot after we had sexual intercourse weidlich was very nervous i asked him to spend the <laughs> night with me but unsuccessfully on the following thursday i met him at the warringer plots there he said that i was far too good for him but after all i didn't know him at all and that he was a bad man. Accurate. Accurate, odd thing for him to say. He never said that to anybody else. Maybe he liked her. Yeah. Who knows this man? Back to Maria. Maria had written a letter to her, one of her friends where she had described in great detail her encounter with Peter Curtin. And also that she knew where he lived. Oh. And some other woman found the letter, opened it up, and contacted the police. Mm-hmm. And so then Good. the chief inspector Gannat spent several hours trying to convince Maria to take him to the suspect's house. She was completely terrified, but yeah. she did finally say yes. And so Maria took him, Inspector Gannat, and some other policemen to this house where they learned that it was used by a man named Peter Curtin. They were inside the house already. I guess you don't need a warrant. And while in the home, Maria heard the creaking of stairs outside the home. Oh, my God. Oh, no. She knew that Gannat oh wasn't there, so she wasn't sure who that would be. And then the door opened. It was Peter Curtin. Oh, my God. Peter, obviously stunned, very confused, just walked right by her and then put a hat on and just walked right back out. Didn't say a fucking word. What is he going <laughs> to say, though? Did it stop him? I don't know. And he walked past two plainclothes officers. Oh, for fuck's sakes. They didn't stop him? Nope. But... This is the most the police have ever had. So they know Peter Curtin at least assaulted Maria Budlick. Mm -hmm. He wasn't there at the moment, but they were going to maybe get him later. Peter would come back to his home later that night to see his wife. And so she would say that he seemed rather upset and asked him if he was okay. And so Peter told her that he had gone out to the park with Maria Budlick, but he made it sound... A lot less like rape, but that, based on his previous convictions, you know, he might go to jail for this. And she was, like, okay with that? Well, sh she was a little surprised. They then met for lunch the following day, where his wife said, quote, 
We had dinner in a restaurant in the Duisburger Strauss. I could not eat anything, but he ate up a lot. My portion, too. So he really was not concerned. So he, he stayed away from home for a couple days. He came back on the 23rd and told his wife that he was also responsible for another assault that had been in the papers and was like, and told his wife that this would mean 10 years or more separation for us, probably forever. And he said, quote, at that, my wife was inconsolable. She spoke of unemployment, lack of means and starvation in old age. She raved that I should take my life. Then she would do the same, since her future was completely without hope. Then, in the late afternoon, I told my wife that I could help her. Oh, no. <laughs> you go first, though, sweetie. Nope. He admitted to all of his crimes. All of the murders. Every to detail. his wife. Uh-huh. And his wife said, quote, When I got terribly excited about it all, he said, I've done something silly. I ought not to have told you. But... He told her that he thought there is a monetary reward for his capture. And so if she turned him in, she could get the money and it would provide for her or something like that. Wow. Quote, of course, it wasn't easy for me to convince her that this ought not to be considered as treason, but that on the contrary, she was doing a good deed to humanity as well as to justice. Uh, it was not until late in the evening that she promised to carry out my request and also that she would not commit suicide. And then he left again. The next morning, Peter's wife went to the police, told them everything, even where to meet him. And so three o'clock, they went to this church. Peter Curtin walked up to meet them. Policemen were totally on edge, guns drawn, whatever. It's very dramatic. Peter just smiled and winked and said, there's no need to be afraid. And he went very peacefully. Ugh, jeez. Went to trial, obviously. Uh, as the charges were read, he would smile and displayed great satisfaction at the whole thing and was probably also ejaculated a couple times. Oh! <laughs> In court. In court. So the uh, first piece of evidence provided by the prosecution was the great confession that Peter had wrote himself after he turned himself in, where he talked about every single whatever. In a wild turn of events, Peter was also offended when some people thought his confession was made up. So he was like, I can tell you all the details. And he oh. did. Officially on April 13th, 1931, Peter Curtin was charged with a total of nine murders and seven attempted murders. The prosecution real went for it and um, made a whole display for the trial, including skulls from his victims and simulated body parts with injuries consistent to what Peter had done. And most of the public found it to be a bit in bad taste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like putting on a show. And Peter would appear in court, nice suit, still taking very good care of his appearance. When he wasn't coming, he looked very nothing, just a nothing guy. <laughs> he did attempt to deny the two confessions he'd already given, although he'd already amplified one of them. It didn't last. Peter held out for about two months, but then he was just like, ah, oh, fuck it, never mind. I did it. The defense team brought in five notable psychologists to examine Peter. They all agreed that Peter was sane and that he was perfectly responsible for his actions at all times. The judge was curious about whether or not Peter had a conscience and asked him, and Peter said, quote, I have none. Never have I felt any misgivings in my soul. Never did I think to myself what I did was bad, even though human society condemns it. You know, blah, blah, blah. He also tried to blame 
a lot of this on his heritage. His whole father's line was real bad. And that time he spent five to six years in prison, which wasn't a good time in prison, but not enough. And then he got a little distracted, went on a tangent and said, quote, I derive the sort of pleasure from these victims that other people would get from thinking about a naked woman. Kept talking, was like, oh, yeah, I always come when I see blood. I drink the blood, blah, blah, blah. Peter's attorney was sitting at the table with his head in his hands being like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Peter did not. He was the center of attention and, you know, he was a showman, I guess. He did talk about that one time that he drank so much blood that he vomited, which made a lot of people leave the courtroom. Mm, And then we got one more thing. Then he paused for dramatic effect, looked over the crowd, and then told a fun story about how he's just walking along in a park one day, saw a swan, decapitated it, placed his mouth over the severed neck, and ejaculated. Oh, for fuck's sakes. On a happy note, because we need a little bit of fucking happiness in this goddamn episode. This is such a bummer. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. I just watched this video. So I think swans also mate for life. Oh, yeah. And so there was a female swan who had lost her mate. And then there was a male. I saw that too. A male swan who had lost his mate. And so the rehab people were like, let's try to put them together and see if maybe they can form a bond and they can be companions at least. They put them both out there by the the lake or pond or whatever it is. And they kind of like are looking at each other and then they start to rub their necks a little bit against each other and then they like get into the water and they're like floating next to each other and like leaning on each other and it's like it's so sweet that sounds so sweet it's so this is the eye for this episode when you're done listening to this go watch the swan video yes please yeah that's your homework on the website whatever i bleach Mm -hmm. ear bleach but for your eyes yeah because you have to watch it. Bleach everything. Yeah. Especially, yeah, well. Okay. <laughs> mm. I was going to make a cum joke. But... <laughs> you can. We're trying here, guys. We're trying. <laughs> oh. Peter's attorney tried. He brought, questioned one of the prosecution's witness, which was a psychiatrist named Dr. Stolle. And his attorney said, quote, Curtin is the king of sexual delinquents because he unites nearly all perversions in one person. Can that not change your opinion about insanity? Is it possible for the Curtin case to persuade psychiatry to adopt another option? Dr. Sully said no. (laughs) No. Fuck no. Attorney persisted, saying, quote, That is a dreadful thing. The man Curtin is a riddle to me. I cannot solve it. The criminal Harmon only killed men. Landrew only women. Grossman only women. But Curtin killed men, women, children, and animals. Killed anything he found. And Dr. Stolle said, and was at the same time a clever man and quite a nice one. Shemini, two sides. Uh, Jesus. Peter gave his final statement to the judge. He did make sure to point out what he thought were inaccuracies, so. Oh my god. Of course. He said, quote, I cannot refrain from reproaching you, Professor Stolle, for saying that the conditions of my home were not the decisive factor. On the contrary, you may well assume that youthful surroundings are decisive for the development of character. So, sure, whatever. And then he also said, furthermore, I want to point out emphatically 
that contrary to the version of the chief public prosecutor, I have never tortured a victim. Which uh, is, it's it's uh, pretty true though. Like he's, he's yeah, not they either the like kind of went pretty quickly wants, or like even like seeing them in pain is like really not enough. It's the blood that really does it for him, and he always kills them very quickly. Yeah, yeah, but then he does shit to them afterwards, and so even if they're not alive, that's still yeah. Uh, see, I don't see that as torture, but it's just abuse of a corpse. I yeah. Don't know. Hannah is fine with Hannah doesn't care her about own corpse, her corpse being abused. But people do, so yeah. I it's Yeah, it matters. It matters, but I'd rather the torture happen when I'm dead than when I'm alive. Yes. Yeah. I think most people would also agree. I'd rather just yeah. not this is have my to controversial go it. my controversial opinion for the episode. Okay. Do 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 he also said, quote, The real reason for my conviction is that there comes a time in the life of every criminal when he can go no further. And this spiritual collapse is what I experienced. But I do feel that I must make one statement. Some of the victims made things very easy for me. So, victim blaming, thank you, fuck off. Oh god, oh, wow. For fuck's sakes. By being like five fucking years old, uh-huh. maybe? Ugh. He also said, quote, I do not want to forget to mention what I frequently said before, that I detest the crimes and feel deep sorrow for the relatives. I even dare to ask those relatives to forgive me, as far as that may be possible for them. No. Uh-uh. Blah. He's not sorry because he said earlier that he didn't have a fucking conscience, so he's not fucking sorry about this shit. He's sorry he got caught, that he can't continue he anymore. He basically turned himself in, though. He's not that sorry he got caught, either. Because he got the stage to He's just like, meh. He's very much meh. Yeah. Took the jury about an hour and a half. To reach the verdict, he was guilty on all counts. Peter was mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, whatever. On July 1st, 1931, Peter received his last meal, which was Wiener Stencil, a <laughs> bottle of white wine and fried potatoes. He ate the whole thing and asked for seconds. And the prison staff thought about this request and then said, yeah, sure, you can have seconds. I'm wow. surprised he didn't ask for like an extra rare steak. Yeah. Maybe he didn't want to come his pants. Well. If he's super into death and stuff too, would he come on himself while he's dying? Well, well. Oh, shit. Well. This comes up a lot as his last words. From reading the sadist, I don't know if this was actually his last words or just something that he said to Dr. Berg during their time together. But he said, quote, tell me, after my head has been chopped off, will I still be able to hear, at least for a moment? The sound of my own blood gushing from the stump of my neck. That would be the pleasure to end all pleasures. Oh, fuck off. Oh my god. And he might have been able to, from what we kind of know about decapitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a bit for the brain to cells like, to actually. Alright, mm-hmm. so Peter was a sexual sadist, basically. He Yeah. He just needed the blood. He said he could achieve orgasm just from strangling, but the blood was a 100% guarantee. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, The sexual urge was strongly developed in me, particularly in the last years, and it was stimulated even more by the crimes themselves. For that reason, I was always driven to find a new victim. Sometimes, even when I seized my victim's throat, I had an orgasm. Sometimes not, but then the orgasm came as I stabbed the victim. It was not my intention to get satisfaction by normal sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. So it was the vines and the blood. He also described a time where he saw a brakeman fall off a freight wagon and get rolled over and 
Oh. Blood started gushing out. Peter went over to help, but he um, also had an orgasm. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Any blood. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Uh, any blood. Not, he doesn't <laughs> have to make blood himself. He gets a goddamn paper cut and he's like, whoops. Hmm. Like some sort of weird dick torture. <sighs> like a bloody penis? Would that, would he like that? Oh. It might, I mean, he doesn't like to get hard, so I don't know what he likes to do with his penis. He likes to dribble. Nothing good. <laughs> he also told Dr. Berg, quote, your question to Professor, whether the recollections of my deeds makes me feel ashamed, I will tell you. Thinking back to the details is not at all unpleasant. I rather enjoy it. To be sure, I pity the victims. Yeah, they all like to reminisce. But in conjuring up the memories in my imagination, I even succeed in getting sexual satisfaction. So he was fucking coming in prison, too, just thinking about them. No, for fuck's sake. Would have been nice if he could have just thought about them, but obviously he saw the blood, he wanted more, and it just escalated. Yeah. But Peter actually did seem to actually like his wife. Yeah. I honestly thought that he was going to be just fine with, like, taking her out Uh, and like letting that be his last romantic encounter with mm -hmm. her yeah and so he said quote you asked me how it is possible for me to have normal sexual intercourse at all well if i don't ill treat the woman during the intercourse then i get no orgasm even with my wife i had to use a sort of fantasy otherwise i was impotent it was usually my wife who took the initiative for intercourse after we had been married six months she used to say are we married or aren't we? She has always had to help me to get an erection. And even then, in order to succeed, I had to conjure up all kinds of fantasies. And then it took a long time. Without violence, my member slackens quickly in the vagina. I don't know why she wanted to keep having sex with him. She has to do all the fucking work. Maybe she wanted children. Uh, maybe. They didn't have children. But if he's just spilling his seed everywhere anyway, it's not like... <laughs> yeah, I'm just like... I have to help you get hard every fucking time, and then you're going to have to imagine blood? We don't have to have sex. It's fine. We don't have to have kids either. It's fine. Yeah. We don't have to be fucking married. It's fine. Yeah. Are we married or aren't we? We can go with aren't we. That's fine. How about no? He, like, would yell at her, but it seems like he didn't physically abuse her. He might have hit her once or twice, but standards of the time and compared to what he grew up with, different. Sure. Yeah. She did know about the murders, but she did know of a couple times about um when he came home with blood on him. Kind of missed that. All the underwear she had no, to clean. Oh, for fuck's sakes! I had to wash his pants every twelve hours. <laughs> oh my god! Did they have washing machines back then, or is this oh, like yeah, she's got to like hand wash? There that might shit. be like a crank or something. <laughs> oh fuck! Jesus! And like I said earlier, his wife kind of felt like she deserved whatever happened to her. So she just kind of took it, even though this is kind of the nicest things oh, right. that um, Peter Cohn never did. It's not a great marriage, but she was like, ma. In her mind, it was satisfactory enough because she didn't deserve any better. Yes. And she even knew of a couple times where, like, that Peter had stepped out on her. Like, he, she knew about these different women. She didn't know about all the murders and the rapes, but she knew he had had extramarital affairs as well. And she's like, no, I deserve it. And Peter would say, quote, My relations with my wife were always good. I did not love her in the sensual way, but because of my admiration for her fine character. We don't really know why Peter liked her so much, to be honest. They didn't know each other for very long before they got married, and he wasn't physically attracted to her. But When was she born? She was, a, she was I think, three to five years older than Peter. 
I don't have a birthday. No, you're probably not going to find one. And then Peter would also say, quote, I said before that I had no conscience, but I have got one. I felt it often. Even in these last years, it was when I committed adultery. Then I often thought how wrong it was of me with so hardworking a wife. So this actually might be true. And he might have actually felt bad about cheating on her, but like wasn't going to stop himself either. But like, Mm -mm. it's a weird relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And then he would also say the reason that he pled guilty to all the crimes and wrote the confession was so that was so she could she... get the reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she did receive, I don't know if this is in marks or dollars, but a thousand somethings for her role in the case. Oh, okay. Crime Stoppers of the early 1900s. Yeah. So I got this from two books. The first was Monster, the True Story of Serial Killer Peter Curtin by C.L. Sweeney, who is, I think, now a former law enforcement officer. He said in his conclusion, quote, In 17 years of law enforcement, I can say with conviction that Peter Curtin is the vilest human being I've ever researched. The very thought of him consuming human blood caused me to consider not even mentioning the act in the book, which is not the worst part. No, I'm sorry, the dog? The parts I didn't say? Oh, jeez, yeah, I don't even know what those are. Just so our listeners are aware, Hannah skipped over, like, some of the really rotten shit, so. Yeah, Because it's it's fucking rotten. It was such a doubter, I'm just gonna not. Positively, I think it all happened after the victim was dead, but we still don't need to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) And so... I already disagree with him. And then I also found this review on Goodreads and it was a little off. The guy that wrote the review was just upset that there were no footnotes. And he said, um, descriptions of Curtin's thoughts as he acted on his impulses had no business intruding on the story. It's possible that Curtin revealed his thoughts when on trial, but with very few exceptions, that wasn't made clear. He kind of missed the end where Sweeney did put his sources, but... Mm -hmm. He also, see how Sweeney also responded to this review like a salty little bitch. Nice. And um, would said a couple fun things, such as, As far as you not reading any more of my books, I'm sure I'll be okay. I've sold tens of thousands <laughs> of books, and I have hundreds of reviews. All of my books are bestsellers. Which, you know, stop focusing on this one review then. He also yeah. said, Why'd you even reply? More importantly, you are an author. It is taboo and tacky to leave negative reviews on books when you yourself are an author. Amazon frowns upon this type of behavior. I've reported your actions to them. And then um, finished off with, quote, Seems odd that you've given four to five stars for Jack Rosewood's books. Jack and his minions have a history of attacking and plagiarizing my work. I've reported the connection between you and Jack to Amazon. Woo. A little whiny. Mm-hmm. A lot whiny. And it's yeah. funny... I've, I've read Jack Rosewood as well for some of this stuff. And so, like, I would say they three stars, three out of five for both of them. They're fine. Both of the authors are fine. They'll give you the information. It's nothing mind-blowing. But so Sweeney can get off his high horse a little bit. He did talk about how the um, great and established authors in true crime didn't use footnotes. I'm like, you're an okay author. Sweeney's going <laughs> to come for us now. <laughs> But I just really, I really Great. laughed when I saw the responses review from the author, and it was so fucking whiny from this guy that looks like he's a fucking policeman. I'm like, calm mm-hmm. your fucking ass down. Your book's not that great. <laughs> I could have got all this information from the internet, to be honest. 
And the other book I read was The Sadist by Carl Berg, which was the um, psychiatrist who spoke with Peter Curtin between the time of his conviction and before his execution. It's an interesting book because he published it in like 19, I don't know, 32. So it's a little old fashioned, but he he's also like a forensic scientist. So he discusses some of the attacks themselves from that viewpoint. He talks a lot oh, wow. about... Um, what Peter Curtin said to him during their thing. So there's a lot of quotes from Peter in that book. And at the very end, there are some very vivid crime scene photos. Oh, no. Oh, God. I honestly thought it was kind of interesting because when I think about slitting someone's throat, I just imagine, like, a slice. But, like, I don't know. Anyway, we don't need to get into this, but, like, the whole, like, throat was, like, flayed open. Oh. It's an interesting, like, historical document, I think, as well. Sure. And I, sure, I think yeah. I got it for like two bucks on Kindle. So, yeah, that is Peter okay. Curtin. Sorry. I think I might still do a little bit of research into ejaculation from a flaccid penis. Sorry, Alvin. But <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm a curious little cat. Mm-hmm. Alvin is your uh, No, it's not, but I can't remember nickname. the name that I gave him. So maybe mm. they cycle through looking at my my history. <laughs> Hannah has several. She goes through. She goes through about I'm one so a month. Right and they're now, like, I quit because I've just <laughs> I quit. Been pretty depressed, but also working on my exit seminar and like. So I've been pretty boring. My uh, FBI agents had a bit of a break during May. He's like, oh, science stuff. Oh, he's like, oh my god, giardia metabolism. Who gives a fucking shit? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Alvin, I know, I know. I'll send him a, a Zoom link to my exit seminar. Are we going to talk about our trip to Wisconsin to go see Peter Curtin's head? Peter Curtin's head? That's is where it Wisconsin? Is. Yeah, his head. That's why I was making the joke, like, he looks better with his head split in half. It's currently in Wisconsin at Ripley's Believe It or Not. What the? I, I did not come across that. <laughs> Peter Curtin's head. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? I should probably visit my parents this summer. Sarah will probably go visit Kirk's family this summer. We could take a detour into uh, Wisconsin. You could meet us there. It's totally split in half, which is, he's not attractive. I don't see it. No. And there's a bunch of other sadistic murderers on display. Mm-hmm. I would go to that. There's also a haunted mansion nearby. <gasps> and a museum of historic torture devices, guys. No fucking way. Right next door? Wow. It's like 0.1 miles away. The Wisconsin Dells is uh, nice and fucking dark. This sounds great. Ooh, is a guillotine? Like a real one? Uh, well, there's no blade, I don't think. Anywho, a haunted history tour in a haunted cemetery, you guys. Oh, Jesus. This is all things I like. <laughs> Since we're in the two-hour mark, do you want to talk about astrology? I do. I do. So... Astro News for the week of May 30th through June 5th. Yes, folks, we are into June. So this episode is going to air on Monday, May 30th. And on Monday, May 30th, we are getting a new moon in Gemini. New beginnings. Sweet. Mm -hmm. New moons give us a more introspective feeling and they represent new beginnings. They can be kind of lonely sometimes, but when they are in the very sociable Gemini. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
this is actually a really good time to take up a conversation with a friend or a family member and kind of catch up on gossip. We all love gossip. We do. Even the Capricorn. Right? You'll still be doing some reflecting during this new moon, but it is a good time to just connect with someone else. So there's that. And then on Friday, June 3rd, Mercury goes direct into Taurus. So we are officially out of fucking retrograde. And Two days after my seminar. <sighs> well, we'll be in the shadow, maybe. Oh. No, the shadow will be after. Never mind. Nothing important is happening June 1st, though, is what you're saying. Kind of. So it's going to take a few days to feel the full release of retrograde, but we're here, so we did make it. And communication, articulation is going to be a little bit easier now, and it's going to be a great time to solidify and start like moving forward with those plans for your future. So, I mean, it's pretty good timing. That's actually a very good timing for my personal life, to be honest. And then Saturday on June 4th, Saturn goes retrograde in Aquarius. And this day is going to be best spent using your energy to kind of set some boundaries for yourself and get connected with like your inner person. So like a self-care day. That's fine. I will fucking deserve (gasps) one. Yes, please. Right? Yeah. (laughs) So get a massage. I'm taking the weekend off. Get your nails done. Go to your favorite bar. Read your favorite book. Oh, massage sounds great. Yeah. Get in there and take care of yourself. Retrograde has been fucking hard on all of us. It's been a fucking terrible disaster. If you would like to take care of TCT, you can always reach out. We love to hear from you. We are on yes, please. Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Don't send emails about whatever we talked about earlier. I can't remember now. Put the, in the subject <laughs> line, put Hannah. Yeah. And then I'll leave those for Hannah. Perfect. Thank you. And then um, check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. Maybe don't check it out. I'm really behind. But guys, a lot of shit's been happening. It's I've busy. I've really lost my zest for life. And it's very busy. I will get back on this. And then I do have a quote for us for today. It is from a Gemini which I think is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it, his birthday is either the 30th or the 31st or right around this week as well. But it's Walt Whitman, an American oh. poet. Oh. And it is, quote, whatever satisfies the soul is the truth, end quote. To be honest, that's very poetical. And I don't believe that. But you did have yeah. a Mexican pizza today, did you not? I did. Oh, And did it poor... satisfy your soul? <laughs> it was really good. But it's good for our soul. Like what women says, it's the truth. It is. We should stop soon because I have to pee now. Yeah, we got to stop. Bye. Bye. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email 
truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.